Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the fifth and long podcast. Patrick DeMar here with none other than the commissioner himself, Mr. Paul Kashak. Uh, Paul, brother, uh, we talked a little bit of NFL earlier this week. We're doubling it up with the podcast this week for the first time. Uh, we got a little bit of hockey talk coming for you all later uh, with Paul and our first guest on the program. Actually, it was exciting. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about some college football playoff stuff first here. Um, some scenarios for what the top four could look like after championship weekends. This is the best time of year for college football. Absolutely. Uh, the rivalry weeks. Rivalry week was last week. We had some awesome games. Yeah, man. Yeah. First, uh, before we dive into that college football talk, I am just thrilled to talk hockey. Finally, we've been teasing it for weeks. I got my Penguins jersey on. Sid the Kid. So I'm excited about that, and we will have our our first guest uh, later in this segment. But but yeah, dude, um, nothing like really wild went down. I think in terms of who won over the weekend for uh, for college football. But man, that's what uh, that's what this conference championship week is going to be coming up. I'm pumped for it. I'm pumped for these rankings to get shook up a little bit. Yeah, obviously, um, Michigan Ohio State was was really hyped, and and Michigan ended up winning that game uh bama auburn the iron bowl that was pretty crazy to watch but otherwise um nothing too ridiculous in terms of uh the teams near that top four so to speak uh we did get a new set of rankings uh for the week so we've got georgia in the number one position followed by michigan at number two washington at number three florida state at four oregon at five ohio state at six texas at seven and bama at eight so ohio state dropped down Four spots after their loss this past week. Everybody uh, from six to three slid up one. So Michigan, Washington, Florida State, Oregon uh, all moved up a spot. Otherwise, no huge changes. Um, what are we going to do as far as <laughs> when uh, – so we've got conference championship week this week. Michigan's going to play Iowa now. And then Oregon and Washington, and then we also have Bama and UGA. So there are some games with huge implications this weekend um, that aren't don't have results that are necessarily set in stone for sure. Yeah, dude, don't you think it's a tough like that's tough for Ohio State going back to them before we dive into some of these matchups, man. Like you lose to what is now the number two team in the country undefeated on the road and you got to fall down four spots in the rankings. I mean, I know that there are some good teams behind them, but that's just, I don't know. That's that's just really tough. It's a competitive year this year. No, you're right. It's the same old story for Ryan Day, honestly. This has happened to him now three times, which I, people are talking about him getting fired there in Ohio State circles, but you, you'd think it's crazy, but it's really not the way they take, how seriously they take that game. Um, and he's an awesome coach. If he does get fired, he'll wind up somewhere else on his feet, I would assume, but that's that's brutal. You lose to the best team in your conference. You're still an incredible team. You'd probably beat some of those teams in, in the top five and you fall all the way down to sixth. Yeah. I mean, well, if you remember like Jim Harbaugh was going through the same thing before this Michigan right. rattled off three in a row against Ohio state. And they were having the exact same conversations about him. Like he couldn't beat Ohio state. And then he got an extension still. And, and the, that got mixed feelings among the fan base, but he certainly turned it around. Um, I really think like the Big Ten, and this is the last year they're doing this, thank God, but they have 
like they've really screwed up things with how they structure their conference with the whole Big Ten East and Big Ten West. I mean, the two best teams in the Big Ten are Michigan and Ohio State. Everybody knows it, but just the way that they've got this East versus West structure, Iowa, like, and don't get me wrong, you know how big of an Iowa fan I am, especially riding those unders all year. But like Iowa should not be playing Michigan here for the Big Ten championship. I just think it's messed up. Well, it's even more than that. I mean, if you really look into the Big Ten, they've got the three best teams in the conference all on on one side, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Penn State is always on the outside looking in because they can't beat either of the two teams ahead of them, it seems, any year. So it's just a logjam on the east side of things. And then the west is is so far behind. Uh, at least the top of the west is so far behind the top of the east. Um, Iowa is still a sneaky team, 10 and two season this year, seven and two in the conference, nothing to, to laugh at. Maybe they play Michigan uh, tough this maybe, week, but maybe you'd laugh at their offense. <laughs> oh, th- their offense is brutal. It's no question. They, they play, um, a prehistoric version of the game we call football, uh, but they still win games. And in reality, you know, that's what counts the most. Um, yeah. Definitely. I mean, like this was, uh, I mean, like I should, like we should preface that. I mean, Deacon Hill, their quarterback is a backup. Like they, Cade McNamara was supposed to start for them this year. He's been out for most of the season with injury, which would have been great because it would have been a a nice little revenge opportunity against Michigan, the team that he used to play for. But uh, it's been brutal, man. I mean, it's, it's been great to watch Iowa football. If you have the under, which I have had all year, but this is going to be a bloodbath. I don't know if you've seen the line. It's like a 23 or 24 point line. And actually Michigan, despite being the two seed, they have the highest percentage to make the college football playoff just because of their opponent this weekend. You're right. The line's exactly at minus 23 in Michigan's favor. The over under is 35 and a half. So hammer under hammer under we, we know what to do on fifth and long. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's probably going to hit, but if you look at the spreads for this week, the the game I think that really surprises me as far as what the odds makers have listed is that Oregon is favored by nine and a half against Washington in that game against the five and three uh, seeds, I guess, right now. Whereas Washington beat them earlier in the year. And I, I don't know if Washington is like missing some big players from injury or, or what, but I can't expect that result being too dissimilar from the first meeting, right? I mean, 10 points, that's a huge line for for a game that when we saw them last, Washington beat Oregon by three. Yeah, 10 points, that is the spread that caught my eye as well. I don't think it should be that high, but uh, I'm not surprised to see Oregon favored in this one. So, like, keep in mind that Washington was at home for their, their first matchup. It was only a three-point game. And or you missed a field goal at the end of regulation too, like that could have sent it to to overtime there. So a very even matchup on away turf for Oregon. The Ducks have just been playing much much better. They demolished Oregon State on I think it was Friday night. They played them thirty one seven. They're clicking on all cylinders, offense and defense. Bo Nix right in the Heisman running, as we've talked about a couple times here on the, this podcast. So. Oregon should be favored. I do think that they are the better team and they're playing like the better team right now. And it's, it's like largely in part due to how much better Bo Nix has gotten as the season's gone on. I think he's now playing better than Michael Penix, which I don't know for sure if that was the case the first time these two met. Um, it's going to be tough because 
like if Washington loses this game, you know, they're 12 and one, they got the same record as Oregon. Oregon's going to probably jump them just because they got the win later in the season. And I guess, cause it's on a neutral, but they split the, they split the season series. Like that's tough to really bump Washington out when their only loss again is to a college football playoff team. I think that they should both be in over Florida state. I'll let you get a word in on Oregon and Washington one more if you want, but I'm about ready to trash Florida state. So get your last, get your last looks in on Oregon, Washington, because I'm about to unload on, on the, on the Seminoles. Well, the, the Seminoles, I mean, you would think as long as they win this week, they'd, they'd be in as long as the game isn't uh, just absolutely horrendous to watch. But I'm on the flip side of, of, um, where you're at with Oregon, Washington. I think Washington's going to win it. I, I've i watched enough of both of those teams this year to where I, I understand who Bo Nix is and what he's capable of, but Penix is that guy, man. He's he's so fun to watch, and he comes up in the clutch, it seems, every time. There's, like, no fear. I, I He just hasn't given me a reason to doubt him yet. Um, even if they don't win, I, I feel like they'll absolutely cover. Nine and a half, that's a – a pretty crazy line to me um you want to put a wager on that we, we want to make our first fifth and long live podcast wager on the I, game I, I was going to put that in my best bets for the weekend right. actually but how about you and i do a little little friendly wager here okay yeah sure we can make that happen i'm with it all right how about, how about just a nice little friendly 10 bucks over the air everybody we're shaking hands 10 bucks 10 bucks are we doing this on spread or money line uh spread spread all right fine i'll take the ducks on the spread all right a deal all right absolutely let's hit it can't wait to, to have 10 extra dollars next week um whatever you say so you, do you think oregon absolutely is in if they if they beat washington they have to they have to jump into that top four right there's there's no doubt about it yeah they're gonna they're gonna have the same record both those teams are gonna have wins against each other like i said um but Oregon's going to get the edge. I think the analytics love Oregon. Like the metrics are all like super pro Oregon. I think that a lot of algorithms or, you know, whatever, you know, those ESPN underlying metrics are looking into have them actually as the second best team in the country after, after Georgia. Don't know if I'm quite going that far myself, but uh, they'd have the same record as Washington. And I think most importantly, you'd look Washington's win came at home, whereas Oregon's win would come on a neutral that would uh that would give the edge to the ducks there as well. I also think that if Florida State got the win this week, Oregon with a win over Washington would not only just get in, they'd jump Florida State in the process. And I okay. think that also large that also largely has to do to uh quarterback situation there in Tallahassee. Yeah, I don't disagree with you with that, especially considering who they'd have to beat to to leapfrog into that spot. I mean, Oregon if they do get that win over Washington, they play in a tougher conference already to begin with than FSU, um, at least this year. And I, I could see that happening for sure if Oregon were to win that game. Um, what Do you think there's any chance Ohio State or, or, or Texas could um, end up in, in that top four? Uh, we'll, oh, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll get to, I want to get to Bama, but what's, yeah, so what's the scenario, scenario for that? I've got, I've got, a, so for Ohio State, their best case, I think that they would want Washington to beat Oregon because then Oregon would have two losses. Ohio State would definitely be in over a one loss uh, Oregon team. And then um, for safe measure, they would definitely need Texas to lose as well and Florida State. So 
I know that's a lot, but if those three things happen, Ohio State is going to get in, in my opinion. Uh, that's also assuming, I guess, that Georgia beats Alabama. So a lot of moving parts there, but uh, that's possible as well. You know, if something crazy happened, like if Iowa somehow pulled off a miracle and beat Michigan, I think Ohio State would actually have the case to get in over Michigan there. I know that that's a bizarre scenario that'll probably never happen, but like it goes back to the committee's not always looking at head to head as importantly as you might think as a fan. Like they would look at that in the sense Michigan's only loss is against a 10 and 2 Iowa team that doesn't have good metrics, whereas and the and on a neutral and Ohio State's only losses to a one loss in that case Michigan team on the road that would look better for Ohio State even though they have the head to head loss so crazy scenarios there um i personally think though this is going to sound crazy but i i think Ohio State should be in over Florida State if it came down to those two teams and i don't care if Florida State wins this matchup this week against Louisville um they're just not the same team without Jordan Travis it sucks but I think the committee has to take that into account because they're going to get their doors blown off if they if they play a Georgia or a Michigan in the first round. And Ohio State would be competitive. Like Ohio State would beat Florida State on a neutral field right now. There's there's no doubt about it. Right. It's it's if FSU does win, the committee will have a dilemma depending on how they win. If it's a really close, ugly game, like I'm talking, if both teams are held to like. 20 points or less or something and FSU wins, then I think there's a chance maybe they miss out, but it's going to be tough considering they've been in the top four most of the year. I think for, for that to really happen, but I'm with you. That game wouldn't be pretty to watch at all. Georgia would demolish them. Uh, If, if Georgia suffers a loss to Alabama and Michigan ends up in that spot. Michigan would probably dominate them too. Really any of these top eight teams, I think would have the edge over FSU. Not necessarily all of them would, would blow the doors off them, but you make a great point. And, and it's going to be tough to say whether I'm interested to see if the committee values the resume over the overall talent of the team in its current situation, you know, because yeah, it's, it's like, what do you dilemma. do? Yeah, what do you do? You, you value your product, obviously, but you can't not reward the team that deserves to get in based off the things they've accomplished, you know? Right. I mean, I still think that they're going to they're gonna take the easy road out. If Florida State wins, even if it is ugly, like, they're going to put them in. They're going to put them in as the four seed, and, like, they, they're not going to keep out a 13-0 and 0 power five conference team and it's not like florida state has beaten nobody they do have a win over lsu back in week one but as we will talk about a team like alabama here in a minute i think it's something should be said with for how you are playing at the end of the season because that is the form in which you have molded into and i think we only talk about that in terms of a team that wasn't as strong in the beginning and now has gotten better like in alabama but I think that the same should ring true if the reverse happens. Florida State was playing a lot better football in the beginning when they knocked off LSU on a neutral, and now they've lost their quarterback. They haven't looked as good in ACC play. That has to be taken into account. If you're going to take into account the reverse with an Alabama, you have to factor that in for Florida State. I think they're gonna, the committee's going to take the easy road out and uh, and put them in. Louisville's still a ranked team who they're going to have to play this week. So uh, I think the Knowles are going as long as they don't lose. Now, 
Speaking of Alabama, who we've mentioned a couple of times, there's a two-part uh, results chain that comes with, with that SEC championship game. Uh, so the first actually doesn't even have to do with Alabama. The first has to do with Texas. If Alabama beats Georgia, Texas's resume looks a hell of a lot stronger considering they beat the SEC champion earlier in the year. Do you think that vaults them higher? I mean, they're already ahead of Alabama in the rankings. And if they win that game, if both teams win that game, Alabama's beating a tougher team in Georgia, but Texas's resume is going to look a hell of a lot better again because they beat that Bama team who beat Georgia. So it's it's like a uh, – what's the transitive property or something? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Beat one team that beat another team, you're, you're there for – I don't think it actually works that way. But the argument is going to be there from, from Longhorns fans if that happens. For sure. I mean, that is the correct property, by the way, the transitive property. So you use that correctly. But um, I I don't see it that way. I I don't. And I don't think the committee looks at it like that. I think that they're going to look at. So you're talking about just the comparison between Texas and Alabama, right? Assuming that Alabama upsets Georgia. Right. If both those teams win their conference championship games, one, I guess the big question is, does Georgia fall out of the top four? Probably not. Right. I don't think so. I, I've seen I watched the college football playoff ranking show two weeks ago, not this most recent one, but uh, the week before. And they were doing this hypothetical scenario where if um, I think that they were trying to create as many 12 and one teams as possible. So obviously, in this situation, they would lose to, to Alabama in the SEC championship game. They had Georgia on the outside looking in. I don't know how you could do that, but um, I think Georgia's in whether they win or lose this game. They'll slide in seating, but. Uh, I think they're in regardless. I think your Alabama Texas uh, dilemma is much more interesting. I don't look at it in the terms of the transitive property. And I don't think that's how the committee looks at it either. I think that they're going to say, all right, these are two 12 and one teams who came from the tougher conference, Alabama check. Yes. Who won the head to head Texas, but whose loss looks better per se Alabama's, loss to Texas, I think in that case, looks better, even though it's head to head, than Texas's loss to Oklahoma. And I, I think that that's how the committee will look at it. And they would give the edge to Alabama, not to mention Alabama's best win would be over Georgia, which is more impressive, I think, than like any win Texas has had, even though they have beaten, beaten Alabama. Right. It's 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 weird. I know we're, we're talking about like all the same teams in the same breath, but uh, that's how I look at it. I believe that's how the committee will look at it as well, but we can agree to disagree. My only Texas fans will. I, my only. So we did just see Ohio state drop down four spots from two to six after losing to Michigan, who is right there with them. So you could theoretically see the same happen to Georgia with a loss where they fall four. I, I don't think it's likely I think you and I are both on the same page that they should be in that top four, but we just saw it happen this week that a team can fall out, uh, fall down that many spots if they suffer a loss to a team in that upper echelon uh, of of teams. Keep, um, in, keep in mind, though, the number three and the number five team play each other this week. So one of them is guaranteed to lose. Right. So that, yeah, that'll, make, that. that'll make it a little bit of a different conversation for this upcoming week. So do you think it would have to be a thing in order for a Texas to make it in? It would almost have to be. Michigan loses, Florida State loses, and then probably Oregon loses 
No, Michigan Michigan doesn't need to lose uh, for Texas to get in. Uh, Alabama lose, like Texas is definitely rooting for Georgia. Um, A discussion will be had if Alabama does win between who would get in over Alabama, Texas. But Texas, like, don't make any mistake. Texas wants Georgia to win. That will definitively knock Bama out. Uh, Texas will leapfrog Ohio State just because Ohio State's not playing this week if they win. And then I think the committee is going to probably put Texas in over the loser of the Pac-12 championship game. So if it's a 12-1 and Washington team, I think it's going to fall behind Texas. I, I I think it's that's that's tough. Now Oregon would obviously slide in in that case. I think Texas has a better chance if Florida State. I think they have a better chance of seeing Florida State lose to Louisville. So like Florida State would need to lose. Um, Oregon would probably again be the best bet for them because then you have a two loss Oregon team. If Oregon loses to Washington, Florida State loses. And Georgia beats Bama, which are plausible scenarios. I think that's Texas's definitive. They're definitely in if those things happen. I don't think Michigan really factors into the equation. Um, nor do I. Nor do I think like it's fun to play the scenario if I would, would beat them. Believe me, but I don't think that that's that's one we need to waste our time on. Right. Um. So Bama, then they would they need. Over under three teams ahead of them to get in to to lose for them to would they need more or less than three teams ahead of them to lose for them to sneak in? Were and and those three teams were including the, the well could like, could be any the, team. the pack well we're including like the yes. Pac twelve loser okay yes. so it's really they only really need like two results to go their way then because that, they're going to slide in over whoever loses that Pac twelve championship game assuming that they win um, so they're definitely rooting for and they'll slide in over Ohio State just because Ohio State's not playing so those are two teams in front of them uh, it would be really nice for Oklahoma State to knock off Texas in that situation. And then again, so like you would, I guess you got to put Bama in over Georgia if it came down to it. Right. Because I mean, if, if they, if they're both 12 and one and Bama's the sec champion, right. That's what I'm getting at. If it ends up where they're like four and five, how do you leave Georgia, Georgia in and Bama out? You can't, No, you can't. So you can't have, you can't have both of them in if Bama wins that game. Yeah. So there's a team. So Georgia, I think, by default could kind of it's so tough man i'm glad i'm not on the committee so georgia could would slide out you'd have the loser of the pac-12 slide out you'll jump ohio state naturally and then i think for bama so what would that that would leave michigan the winner of the pac-12 that would put him in so i just i just I think that that's all that needs to happen. So under, under the three losses, sorry, had to, had to go. So you're saying through a convoluted route. So you think really all Bama would need to do is beat Georgia and they're in. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's a game I'm really interested to watch. I, I've kind of taken a liking to Jalen Milrow just from what I've seen oh, yeah. from him over the last few weeks, he was getting some Lamar Jackson comps after that iron bowl, which 
I don't know. I haven't watched that much of him to, to agree with that comparison, but it's interesting. I think that could be a fun game. Uh, Georgia, Georgia Bam has had some classics over the last handful of years. Uh, before we move away from college football, the, the one thing I want to hit on is that a reminder that next year we're going to have 12 teams in the playoff. And I think this year would have actually been the perfect first year for that to happen with the amount of, I mean, we've got eight teams right now that all have an argument to, to be there. And if you look at the other handful of teams after them, you've got Louisville at 14, who's just outside of that 12 playing in a conference championship game. They've got an opportunity to win their conference game this weekend and play their way into the top 12. You've got Oklahoma there, Ole Miss, Penn state, Missouri, all those playoff games too, except for, I think the final four are at the actual home stadiums of the teams. So Believe it or not, I'm I'm more excited for next year than I am for this year. Like I'm I'm already getting a little bit of goosebumps thinking about what that could have been like this year. Um, it's it's tough for me to think that way, but if that would have happened, I mean, are previewing our matchups. I'm pretty sure they would have top four teams all get buys, and then it's the eight after that play. So you have, uh, you would have like Oregon, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Texas, Penn State. Bama, Mizzou, all at the home stadiums of that higher of the higher seeded team. Penn State, Texas, that's like a classic college football game being played in, in a playoff scenario. That would be so fun. Yeah, you know, Penn State, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but Penn State would have been in if they did do the 12 team format, like just about every year since right. the college football playoff has been a thing. I don't know if it's every year. But just about, they're the classic ten and two team. They just lose to Ohio State, and Michigan every year, and just beat everybody else. Yeah, that, I'm really looking forward to that for next year. Just having some more parodies, some more teams that we're talking about this time of the season. It feels more sort of like the NFL playoffs, which I think is a good thing too. Instead of having all these like bowl games for those middle of the road top 25 teams where, where kids stop playing and stuff. It gives them more incentive to stick around, finish out the seasons. You see the best products on the field for longer. Um, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. It's just something I'm looking forward to. That's all. Yeah, man, I, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, I think this year you you could say that there maybe there's a little similarity of terms of uh, to the NFL this year and kind of this year alone in terms of, yeah, you could probably go outside the top four and say that somebody could at least uh, give the top teams a game, a team that we don't need to touch on a whole lot, but we haven't mentioned them at all. Missouri is the quietest number nine <laughs> overall, 10 and two team. Seriously, ever. dude, that they, they have just had a phenomenal season. They took Georgia down to the wire uh, in Georgia too earlier this year. And they've just been dogging teams lately. They crushed Tennessee, just absolutely waxed Arkansas this past weekend. They're a team that if we did this 12 team format, that would not be a team somebody would want to face in like an 8-9 matchup, you know. So I agree that it's unfortunate that this year, just how things have shaken up with how top-heavy it is, it's unfortunate this wasn't the first year of the expanded format, but but hey, we'll see how it shakes out next year. Well, um, fans, enjoy your college football weekend. It's shaping up to be a good one. We're going to reconvene about our CFP uh, rankings and predictions before – uh, the playoffs start. We'll probably dive into some rankings next week after conference championships, maybe talk a little bit about the Heisman as well um, as it gets closer to the Heisman ceremony. But we're going to take a little bit of break. We're going to come back with some hockey talk, 
some sticky puck, as I like to call it, uh, on the ice with Paul and a guest coming right back on the Fifth and Long Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking about doing a hockey segment for a long time now, pretty much ever since the podcast started. And finally, finally, we are going to deliver on that promise. We're here to talk some puck today as the season's a little bit over the quarterway mark, quarterway mark through the 2023-2024 year. And it's a momentous day as well, not just because we're talking hockey for the first time, but because we have our first podcast guest on I'd like to welcome to the show a buddy of mine since high school, guy who played hockey himself, Matthew Krem de la Creme Kremen. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Paul. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, Matt, for the listeners and everybody out there, um, give us just a little bit of background about your experience with the game of hockey, kind of the level that you played at and, and why you love the game. Well, um, I... 25 now, about to be 20, 26. I've been playing since I was like three. So, you know, about 23 years coming on now. So, you know, it's definitely a huge part of my life. Um, everyone in my family played, right? Grew up around it. You know, my dad runs an ice rink, literally. So, like, I literally grew up in an ice rink. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean... I uh, I just grew up playing um, all the teams I played for. You know, we're we're in Maryland. Um, played for some higher level teams there. You know, we would, especially you know when I was when I was like you know fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, around those ages. You know, we started going up north and and playing playing some better teams up there. And you know, kind of really saw how hockey is different. You know, up north as compared to you know, the south. Um, I guess I could say for myself, uh, as far as the state of Maryland goes, um, I, I was, a, I was a pretty good player. Um, but you know, things change when you go up North, you know, that's what they do up there. So. boy, man. Don't sell yourself short. Yeah. As I've moved <laughs> up here to, as I've moved up here to the Boston area, you know, you talk to people and, and pond hockey is definitely just a regular thing is, you know, when it gets cold around this time of year, the, the yeah. ice just freezes over and they're able to just do it. And like, they're playing in the backyard, like we would, you know, just shooting hoops. It's, it's, right. that's what it's kind of like up here. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something kids miss out on. Um, you know, kids basically who are not in the Northeast or in Canada, really, I mean, that's what they're really missing out on, you know, that, that outdoor uh, pond hockey, you know, kind of, when you think of like a culture of hockey, you know, that's kind of part of it, you know, playing outside when the, when the snow is, is falling down, you know, I've played a little bit of pond hockey here and there, you know, when I can, but uh, yeah, that's, that's one of those things where it's like, man, I, I wish I grew up, wish I grew up up North. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Um, talking about kids and playing hockey, everything. I mean, one of the guys that's taken the NHL by storm is one of the youngest looking kids, youngest looking professional athletes I've ever seen. Connor Bedard, uh, supposed to be the next it guy in hockey. 
talk to me about him. What do you see as a fan, as a former player? What do you like? Anything you don't like? Just break down his game so far based on what you've seen. Well, I'll start out by saying don't let his stature fool you. He is a beast, okay? Uh, I get a little flack from this. Um, I say that skill-wise, already he is better than McDavid. Um, I mean, the production may not be there yet, but give it give it uh, two, three years, and I think he's going to be you know, the best player in the league. Um, as far as his game goes, uh, there are so many things he does that, that you literally just you can't teach it. I mean, his his vision, his his hockey sense, you know, how his quickness. I mean, it, it's just it, it's really something that you can't teach. It's really like just what you're born with. Right. Like he's just born with the ultimate tools to be the most skilled hockey player there ever was. Um, I mean, so far, what I'm seeing from him, like he's slotted right in. I mean, what he already has, like. You have his over 10 goals already, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think he's he's at least a point per game, I'm pretty sure, so far. And, I mean, on a team that's not that great, too. Like, let's be honest. I mean, Chicago is better than they, better than they were last year. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, they continue to build around him. I mean, they already got uh, got Seth Jones on the back end on D. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be a good team here in a couple of years. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I haven't really gotten to see much of him play myself. Uh, I got to see him in that opening game against uh, the Penguins. He had an assist in that one. And then I know he uh, he scored a goal the following night against the Bruins. So, yeah, you're right. Not much talent around him. But that's uh, that's crazy to see that you already think skill wise, you know, he he's right there, even better than McDavid. I wasn't expecting that. I, I, I'm being, you know, uh, it's a little early to say, but from what I see, I mean, just the way he shoots, honestly, it's the quickest shot that I have ever seen. Like I've never seen someone shoot the way he can shoot. And I'm not even talking about like overall speed, but just the quickness that he can get that puck off of his stick. It's just, it's unreal to me, honestly. Crazy stuff, man. Crazy stuff. Let's uh, let's segue into Connor McDavid now because uh, the Oilers really struggled this year. They've already fired their coach, I believe second to last yeah. in the Pacific. Uh, what the hell's going on in Edmonton, man? I mean, that's a team that's loaded with talent every year. They seem to never be able to get it done. I'll tell you what. It's literally the same thing. I mean, okay, yeah, they had a good year last year standings-wise. Standings wise. Um, it's literally the same thing that's been going on with Edmonton. Uh, it's just this year it's just come to a head. I think I think it. It, it's it's like it was like a snowball building up and building up and building up. See their front office, they, they have a terrible front office. Okay, they have they have not they have not gotten the pieces that they need to be a a successful playoff team. Uh, first of all, I mean they they've never addressed the goalie situation. They've never from the time that Connor McGregor Connor McGregor <laughs> Connor <laughs> McDavid <laughs> Connor McDavid has been in the league. They've never had you know a true number one goalie. They never had a goalie who can, you know, steal games for them in the playoffs. And, you know, I think right now, um, they, okay. They're, they're paying Darnell nurse. Darnell nurse is a good defenseman. Do not, do not get me wrong, but they're paying him. I think it's, I think it's 9.5 per year. That's his, uh, that's his cap hit per year. And like I said, he's a great defenseman, but, 9.5 that's like your stud number one defenseman type of contract and 
in my eyes, he's, you know, he's a top four guy. He's a top, a top four defenseman on the team or on a team, you know, maybe a, a second pairing guy, but you know, he's not going to put up those, those offensive numbers you, that you need from a number one defenseman. And uh, I don't think he can really eat up those big minutes that uh, you need from, from a number one defenseman. How uh, I'm interested to know because you know I I can't name the Edmonton roster up and down the line, but how uh, how good's their depth on offense after you get past the McDavid and Drysaddle line? Like, do do they lack in depth there? Are they not able to score? Is that a problem too? It's, yes, yes, and that and like I said, that that's one of those problems that has been a problem. That's why they haven't got taken that next step to to get to the Stanley Cup final. I mean, you obviously have McDavid, who you know best player in the league, right? Uh, before Connor or before Connor Bedard came in, um, I would say that he has he's the most skilled player to ever play the game. Um, and you obviously have Leon Dreisaitl, who's you know another you know, top ten player in the league, right? Um, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, tremendous player as well. Um, but after those couple guys, you know up front, you know their their third line, their fourth line, they they don't can especially the third line third line is as far as playoffs go third line makes or breaks a, a playoff team and you know they they don't have that that depth there um in their in their forwards and they have like i said they their front office has not addressed it so i let me ask you the the question that's been on my mind if if mcdavid stays in edmonton is he ever going to win a cup no with the front office if they they continue to not address their needs if they continue not to put together Stanley Cup caliber teams. No, no, he's not going to win there. I mean, it, and it starts with a goalie, number one. Like I said, McDavid's been in the league for almost 10 years now, never had a goal. Never, none of his Edmonton teams have, have had that even top 15 goalie in the league, right? And that that's not going to win you a Stanley Cup. Do you uh do you have a team in mind that if he went to right now automatic automatic cup cup winner that well like obviously you could put him on like a Vegas team that won last year but let's say a team that's not complete right now that you could put him on right now he'd take him over the top and 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 get him a cup. Well, plenty of these young teams, uh, I, I think you know he would slot right in into uh, uh, New Jersey. I mean New Jersey, they're they're a super young team, a super talented team. You know they 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 had a playoff run last year. I mean. If McDavid was on that team, I mean that's that's Stanley Cover bust. Um, or sorry, also uh, Florida. Um, Florida's a team I've always liked, especially because I love uh, Alex Barkov. He's literally one of my favorite players. Uh, but I think you know if you put McDavid on that team, you know they they got a they got a pretty deep team there. Um, pretty good goaltending. Uh, you know I think he. I think that they went. I mean, they they made it to the final this past season. I, I think I think he went a cup there. Um, but again, I mean, there's so many good, young, fast teams that you, if you slot him in there and he becomes their best player, I mean, you know, game over. Like it's it's you know, Stanley Cup. Yeah, man, it's crazy. As a fan, I'm really rooting for him just because you know, I mean, he, he's lightning quick out there. He's he's phenomenal to watch, even for somebody who doesn't doesn't have a deeper understanding of the game. You can see how special he is on the ice. So I'm really hoping that he can find a way to, to lift Lord Stanley one day. Um, let's transition talking about some other greats of the game. 
Wayne Gretzky obviously holds the record for most goals ever scored in the NHL, but hot on his tail is, of course, Alexander Ovechkin. And for those of you that don't know, Matt here is a huge Washington Capitals fan. Can you take us through what it's been like to watch Ovechkin since you were young, see his journey as a Capitals fan, and what it's been like now as his career's grown for him to chase this this record of Gretzky's? So I'll start this out by a recent quote that Ovechkin said. Um, not even sure what type of interview it was or whatever, but I saw it. Um, he said that him, at the time that he came in the league, him and Sidney Crosby literally saved the league. I mean, the NHL at that time, like, you know, around 0506, well, you know, not that popular, not not that much going on. And, you know, him him and uh, Ovechkin and Crosby, they, they came in the league. They, you know, lit it on fire. You know, people started uh, – a lot of more, a lot more people started watching. I mean, I just in Maryland. I mean, I'm a, so I was like, co five oh six. I was like seven eight years old or something like that when when Ovechkin came in the league. And I remember, you know, growing up, no one knew about hockey, you know, where where we're from. Um, but uh, you know, as Ovechkin, you know, the more the more years Ovechkin was in the league, I you slowly slowly see and then quickly. Um, just more and more and more and more Caps fans. And why is that? It was because of Ovechkin, right? Um, yeah, I remember, uh, I mean, I was, like I said, like seven or eight. I don't even remember watching hockey before Ovechkin came in the league. I mean, I was so young. But, like, my first hockey, my first watching hockey memories, like, literally is Alex Ovechkin. Uh, so, I mean, when he breaks that record, when he retires, they um definitely going to shed a couple tears. <laughs> So you have you have no doubt in your mind he's going to get it. You you don't think that there's any doubt. Um, I mean, it would take a colossal doubt. injury. Yeah. How many? Uh, let's see. Let me see right here. For those of you who don't know, I've got these stats up. So I don't know if this these stats are current as of today or if they were at the beginning of the season. But it's got Gretzky at eight ninety four, Ovechkin at eight twenty seven. Does that sound right to you, Matt? Ovechkin at eight twenty seven, or is he has he got yeah. some more since? Yeah, then? yeah. I, th- I think that's current. Yeah, so I think sure. so I think that means he's got 67 goals. Put it put it into a little bit of perspective. If he's got 67 goals to go, yeah. how how long do you think that would take him? How many how many more games does he need to play to get that number? So okay, let's say he finishes this season with 30 goals. Okay. So he started the season with 822, 30 more goals, uh 852. So at that point, what you're 44 away from the record. So yeah, something like that. Roughly, yep. I mean so I'd say two and a half to three seasons. He's got four more seasons on his contract. I, I'm pretty sure. Um, I mean, I, he's not retiring until he breaks that record. I mean, at this point, it's like he, in his mind, he's got to do it, right? But the thing I love about him is, um, you know, he obviously you know, loves the personal accolades and all of that, but you know, he still wants another cup, obviously, because you know that's why you play the game, right? You play to win. He played to win that Stanley Cup, you know, the most coveted, they call it the most coveted uh, trophy in all sports. Uh, you know, some people may disagree. I agree. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, just, and especially as he's gotten older, um, you know, he puts together all these 40 and 50 goal seasons. Like, it's like every time I watch a game and he scores and, you know, he's 
37, 38 years old. I'm like, like it's not, it's incredible that, that he's able to do what he does at that advanced age that he's at, you know, like I literally tell myself like unbelievable. Like every time he scores, unbelievable. Yeah. And I want to go back to your point about the the Stanley cup being the most coveted, you know, trophy in sports. I don't know if everybody would agree with, with you on that. I don't know if all of our listeners would, but I, I would say this definitively. I think it's the absolute toughest trophy to win based on the playoff structure. I mean, you go seven games. It series, is a very tough playoff structure. Yeah. Eight, eight teams in each conference. And really, I mean, that eight seed can beat the one seed any given night. We saw it last year with Florida knocking out Boston, who had an historic regular season. So I, Everybody might not have the opinion of it being most coveted, but I think it's certainly the most difficult to win. And it, it, it puts into perspective just how tough it is to win even just one. Well, so you also got to remember, too. OK, so what are the other sports that have those seven game series to, to get to championships? You got basketball, um, baseball, they go five then they go seven. Um, uh, what other sports have, have those seven game seven game type series? Baseball, basketball, um, of the professional ones. So of your major sports, you know, you got baseball, hockey, basketball, football. I mean, it's baseball and basketball, and obviously hockey as well. Yeah, but so, that's it. Okay, now 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 compare hockey to those other two sports that you know have to play multi-game series. Which is the absolute roughest sport that there that there is among among those sports right there? It's hockey, hockey, no right? doubt. They, yeah. they 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 beat the crap out of each other every night and when the playoffs come around they're beating the crap out of each other even more because they want it that much you know the physicality in, in playoff hockey it's just so elevated the game is so elevated when the playoffs come around that you know it's it's truly truly fun to watch like i mean you may say football is, is the toughest sport which you know that could be true but they're not playing seven game series to get to the super bowl are they no, right. No, not at all. No. Yeah. But hockey, you're, you're you're playing you're playing best of seven series um, for what uh, four 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 series to, to get the Stanley Cup. Three to get yeah, there, four, four and then four if you include. Yeah. So, it, so yeah. yeah. So if you were to win, you have to win four series. So up to twenty eight games past those eight past that eighty two game season, beating the crap out of each other the entire way. To your point you know, definitely the, the toughest, the toughest championship to come by. Dude, I got to get your opinion. You're talking about beating the crap out of each other. And I, I meant to ask you this earlier in the segment, but uh, slipped my mind. You happen to catch the, the uh, penalty call in the, the Ottawa Panthers game uh, the other night. Give it, give us your thoughts on that. Okay. So some people might disagree with me here, but okay, let's break down the, let's break down the play before all that happened. So, uh, Brady, Brady Kachuk, he hops out of the box. You know, he's uh, sprung on that breakaway. Um, so I keep in mind, I did not see the entire game, but I saw the, uh, the video recap of it all. It's sprung on the breakaway. You know, he shoots. I don't know if he was trying to either avoid the goalie or like kick the puck to his stick or something like that as, you know, to get the rebound, but it looks like he sticks his foot out against Bogorowski. I think that's who, that was who was, that was who was net. So yeah, obviously, you know, their defenseman taking umbrage with that. Yeah, I can totally get that because it didn't look very good. Um, and to preface that, you know, 
in the video that I watched, the announcers were saying that the game may have been getting a little bit out of hand, um, you know, penalty physicality wise, a little bit before that. So, yeah, obviously it turns into this huge scrum, um, you know, no like drop the gloves fights, but a lot of players, you know, kind of squaring off. And I, it was about seven minutes left in the game there. And, um, you know, uh, Florida's up 4 0. So, you know, Florida's going to win the game, right? Um, so at that point, you know, the refs, they're, they're just trying to get control of the game. It's a 4 0 game. They don't want it. They don't want any, they don't want any over the, over the top crap to go down. So I would say, you know, putting all those guys in the box, you know, giving them all 10 minute misconduct, that's just kind of relieves the whole, like, they're, they're getting the game under control at that point because they don't want it to, they don't want it to escalate further. Um, it's something you don't see in the NHL, you know, putting literally everyone in the box, uh, too often. You don't see that too often, but, um, I think from a ref standpoint, you know, kind of the, kind of the, to save themselves there of, of all the aggravation and the potential, you know, escalation of the rest of the game. It, uh, it, it was a reasonable thing to do. You know, some people may not like it, but I can definitely understand it. Do, uh, I have a question. Do they actually physically put, those guys in the box when there's that many penalties at once or do they just well, so, somehow relegate them from playing no so they they gave them all 10 minute misconducts and since there was uh less than 10 minutes in the game they all just went to the locker room because they weren't getting gotcha. out of the box um the funny thing about it was so on ottawa it's brady kachuk and on uh, florida uh, his brother matthew is on florida and um unfortunately matthew was not on the ice where he was he was in the box but it was funny. They cut to him, and he's just sitting there watching, like, "God, my brother's an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize that Matthew Kachuk, of course, had a phenomenal run uh, on the playoff run that yeah, I mentioned for player. the Panthers last last year. So great player there. Let's get back into talking about the the Stanley Cup run itself. Um, little aside there, Vegas, obviously the defending champions, uh, phenomenal season, great run that they had last year. I'm always interested, and I feel like this is the case in hockey as much as any other sport, um, not solely relegated to hockey, but it can be a copycat league sometimes where if teams realize and see a method of success the previous year, they're going to try to replicate it and bring home a cup for their own franchise. Can you give us a little bit of a brief background about how Vegas went about winning their Stanley Cup last year, and do you see any team out there besides Vegas, obviously themselves, that's trying to replicate that style of play this year? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the game today is all about speed, right? It's all about speed. And um, to be fair, uh, in years prior, I did not like the way that uh, the Vegas front office was going about things. You know, a couple of years ago, every year that they would not get to where they wanted to be. They almost like rehauled the whole roster. And like, if you're doing that, it's hard to really build anything. Right. But, you know, in the last year or two, you know, they, they, they kind of backtrack on that. They were like, okay, we have good pieces in place. We just need to add on. We just need to add on. Right. So, and that's exactly what they did. Um, you know, they, they got tremendous, players in that expansion draft uh back in um 2017 yeah 2017 and you know a couple of those players are still on the team today like william, william carlson jonathan marsh so um 
But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they're just a such a fast team. It's such a good team. I they they added they added tremendous pieces like um, Jack Eichel. Obviously, you know he's one of the top players in the league. They also added a an established veteran uh, like Mark Stone. Who I mean, they don't win the cup without Mark Stone. Um, so yeah, I mean, we saw uh, we saw a Toronto um, kind of try to use that same that same formula to to win um the last couple of years you know adding those veteran guys to their young core and in all honesty i do not blame uh, toronto's failures on the front office they just failed to execute really i mean they fired their gm which i guess at some point you got to do something but i don't I, I don't blame it on him i mean he put together a fantastic team they just don't actually, I don't know Toronto's curse. I don't know, but they just failed year after year. They just failed to execute, but you know, Vegas, they, they, the players that they got, you know, they, they executed on what they were supposed to do. Yeah. Speaking to uh, Kyle Dubas, the general manager that you're referring to, uh, who was let go in Toronto. He is of course now the general the manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I got my Sidney Crosby Jersey on right now. I, and we're I going through, Dubis, I think he's a good GM. So I think you guys got got to go in there. Well, I think it's interesting that you describe Toronto that way because I think that the Pittsburgh's kind of going through the same thing right now. We've just basically been a 500 team through the first 20 or so games of the season. We're not in a playoff spot right now, but he obviously goes out in the offseason, has the huge acquisition of Eric Carlson, um, and didn't really have to give up much for him. We did give up a first-round pick, but you know, for a guy as established as Carlson, I think – a lot of people would say that's worth it. We're just, we're not executing as well. It's just been terrible on the power play. I think I heard we're like, oh, for our last 19. It's been dreadful. Caps the same way right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought uh, Pittsburgh was going to be better. Um, I mean, uh, I guess I was wrong. No, however, you got Pittsburgh is a way different team than Toronto was. Um you know, Pittsburgh, much older team. They don't have many young players. Uh, I, I think, I think getting Carlson was a good move. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people kind of take digs at Carlson, Eric Carlson, because they say he doesn't play good defense. Now, what they're basing that off of is they're basing that off of, you know, his last year or two in San Jose. Now, what you got to, what you got to understand about San Jose was Eric Carlson was that entire team. So, Eric Carlson on San Jose had to sacrifice a lot of his defense to provide offense. Um, now I think I truth be told, I have not watched too much uh, Pittsburgh hockey this season so far, but I think with, you know, better pieces around, um, you obviously got guys like Sidney Crosby and, and, and Malkin up front. Carlson doesn't have to do everything anymore. So he, you know, he can focus a little bit more on D. Um, he can still, uh, he still obviously has that offensive talent that that he can he can produce there too. So I think as the season goes on, they're they're going to get a little better because they obviously you know they obviously have great players on the team. They're just you know they're just a little old, right? Maybe they maybe they need to trade for a young guy or two, kind of energize the lineup a little bit. But uh, you know I I see Pittsburgh fighting to the end. I hope so, man. Um, yeah, you know what's interesting? It's interesting that you brought that up about Carlson's need to provide offense for that San Jose team. The if there was one worry uh, among Pittsburgh fans in the offseason after the move was made, it was just how 
poor our defense might be and just the need to win like six, five hockey games. We've actually been very good defensively. We're one of the, so far in terms of goals against this year, I think we're in the top five, which everybody is shocked about kind of speaks to what you're saying that Carlson is able to provide a little bit more of a defensive aspect than he, uh, than he did in San Jose. What what I say to people is watch Eric Carlson in Ottawa. When he was, when he was on Ottawa and they were making a couple of playoff runs, he he was a stud both offensively and defensively. So he can play, you know, defense, right? Like it's not a it's not a real rational concern that should actually be there, in my opinion. Happy to hear it, man. I just hope it starts turning into wins for us. We got to start making a push pretty soon. Um, and one of the things that does worry me is what you were saying about. Once, wait, one second, one second. Go ahead. I just looked it up. Eric Carlson is a plus seven on the season for Pittsburgh right now. So he's on the ice for Pittsburgh scoring more than getting scored against. So I think that's that's just one of the things to keep in mind there. So go ahead. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I've been happy with this play. The one thing that does concern me, though, you said it, uh, we're a little bit old. And youth is big. You talked about how speed is so impactful in the game today. Obviously, speed and youth kind of go hand to hand. Give me a young team right now who maybe isn't high in the standings right now, but you expect to rise as the season goes along. And maybe it's a team that we're talking about come playoff time that no one is talking about now. Um, I don't know if no one is talking about them, but uh, I, I think Detroit is a young team and it's definitely on the rise um and it's looking like well it's not looking like they got patrick kane now too um obviously he's a vet you know he has he's the best american player that, that there's ever been so far um and uh i mean yes uh young team uh great roster great young roster you know again talk to um you know they're fast they have great young players and you know you add yeah Patrick Kane into, into that mix and and you're only going to get better yeah I know Detroit's a team that I've heard about um here and there through the grapevine so I like that pick I like that pick let's stick in the same breath all right let's go let's talk about a singular player okay give me a young player can't say Connor Bedard because we already talked about him Give me a young player who's rising, who's getting better before your eyes, who you think that we're going to start seeing more and more in the highlight reels and analysts are going to be talking about more and more as the season goes on as well. So to preface this, I will say that I really like the New York Rangers. Um, every time the Caps get eliminated from playoffs or last year playoff contention, I was a fan of the New York Rangers. I'm always rooting for the New York Rangers to to take that second win the Stanley Cup. So uh, the player on the Rangers who I love is Keandre Miller. Uh, big defenseman. Um, he's he's 23 years old right now. He's, he's from Minnesota. Uh, he played in the, the U.S. development program uh, when he was uh, you know, 16, 17, 18. Six five defenseman. I mean, he can skate like the wind. I mean, that that's something you love to see out of a big defenseman that they can move as well. So 
on the back end there. He can provide some offense. Um, like I said, great skater, tremendous reach. So, I mean, good luck getting around him. Because even if you think you got to step on him, he's just going to reach that stick out and poke, poke you away. Um, you know, as he as he's getting more established, you know, he's becoming meaner, which I love out of a defenseman. You know, when you're back there in the D zone, you're battling with guys in the corners in front of the net. You got to be mean, right? You know, you got to make guys not want to come near you, and that's that's what I see more and more out of him. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he moves the puck very, very well. I mean, honestly, the New York Rangers uh, defense 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 core they're they're great. I mean, you got Adam Fox, who's the top three or four, you know, defensemen in the league. You got Jacob Truba, who's an app. Uh, sorry, you got Truba, who's an absolute great train back there. He destroys guys. Um, you got uh, Keandre Miller, like I said, who's he's coming into his own. Um, he's he's providing more and more offensively each year, and you know he's only getting better there on the back end as well. Perfect, perfect. All right. So to our listeners, watch out for the Detroit Red Wings to make a push. Watch out for Keandre Miller as a player. Um, Matt, we're going to wrap up here. One of the segments that we do on on our podcast typically is we do a best bet segment at the at the end of our podcast. Since we're talking puck here, give me give me an NHL future. Maybe it can be a, a team to win a division, team to win the cup, win the conference, whatever it is. Give me give me a team that you like. Maybe something that our listeners can bet on. Ah, uh, that's a tough one. Um, I'd say Detroit to make the playoffs. Um, I'll give you that one. Um, I mean, they haven't made the playoffs in a good number of years. Uh, I think, I think the Rangers um, are going to come out of the East. Um, I think. Uh, I mean, well, it's, it would be easy to say, you know, Vegas out of the West. But, uh, I mean, Avalanche are always a threat to come out of the West. But my my locks, Detroit making the playoffs, uh, the Rangers coming out of the East. Like that. I've got the – I can't find a line on Detroit to just make the playoffs, but I've got the Rangers here, according to FanDuel, to win the Eastern Conference at plus 600. So you're getting six to one return on your money there. Some of the teams that are right around them and or in front of them, you got your Boston's, Toronto, Carolina, New Jersey. Those are the teams hovering right around there. But Rangers at six to one. So lock that bet in right now. Our guest Matt Kremen said it. Matt, I have had. Do not come after me if I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Don't worry about it. Although this podcast has had a uh, has had a record of success because I've been telling all of our listeners week in and week out to just bet the under in Iowa football games. I don't know if you've been following Iowa and college football, but they, uh, they can't score. So we just tell all of our listeners to take the under week in and week out. <laughs> so. Hey, it works. It works. It has been, it has been, I think that they've it's hit like every week since like the beginning of October, but Matt, it is, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, dude. I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming onto the podcast for making history as our first ever guest, um, enlightening me and hopefully our listeners about hockey as well. Um, looking forward to watching the rest of the season. Looking forward to having you back on the podcast sometime soon. Thanks for coming, man. Thanks, Paul. 
Absolutely. All right. That's going to conclude our fifth and long podcast here. Hope you guys enjoyed this bonus episode uh, here post Thanksgiving week. We'll be back next week. Catch you then.